So check this out. I, you know, I'm a pretty transparent guy, so I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you. So I never have prided myself on being real smart, right? Totally true. And so I, at times I get a little insecure about that. And then the Lord uh, puts people like Bill Kahn and Charles Spratley in my life to affirm that what my fears are are actually true. <laughs> and so I don't know what to do with that. And the Lord says, it's okay. Um, I'm going to use you anyway. And so I'm sure many of us have those insecurities or those shortcomings. And we wonder, can God use me? And we, and we compare ourselves to other people. Um, and, and God says, yeah, I can use you. I, I created you exactly how I wanted to. And I've gifted you exactly how I wanted to gift you. Um, I just think that it's funny. And the Lord has just surrounded me with many, many smart, brilliant people. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to do it myself because I am fully incapable. I love it. Give God all the glory. It's good to be with you guys this morning. I love you. I love this church. I love what we do together. I love that um, this church takes God's Word serious, that it's what directs us, it's what drives us and guides us, and it's why we gather to worship Him and to focus our attention and our affection on, on the Lord's Word. Amen? I am leaving Tuesday for Texas. My wife's coming up on our down or over, wherever Texas is, on Friday. Um, and we have our first gathering in Heath, Texas, uh, with the 30-plus um, people that we're going to start a church with out there. And so there's a lot of work to be done. And so I know you've been praying. Please just keep praying. Just keep praying um, for that whole situation and for all those that are uh, making up that church. Just exciting time. It's an exciting time. During the reign of King Josiah, who lived seven centuries before Christ, the law, the, the law of God, God's Word, had become hopelessly mixed up with common opinion or common opinions. Idolatry was flourishing. Contempt for theology was common. There was little or no resistance to moral erosion. Josiah, who was made king at the age of eight, was worried. He desired to be a good king, and he was. He wanted to lead his people out of darkness, and so he turned to the temple for help, and the results were disappointing. The word of the Lord couldn't be found. Oh. A renovating program on the temple was started, and at last the high priest, Hilkiah, said to Shaphan, his secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. Imagine if we were to gather without God's Word. What are we going to talk about? If you want to read more about that, that's found in 2 Kings chapter 22. In front of an old Trinity church in Boston stands a statue of Philip Brooks, its great preacher. And behind the figure of this New England minister, Christ is portrayed standing with his hand on Brooks's shoulder. The story is told of a working woman who passed or paused to gaze upon the figures and asked, who is that standing behind Dr. Brooks? And a stranger replied, that is Christ. And this dear working woman replied, doesn't look like him. The only authentic picture we have of Christ is in the Bible. And we miss the whole point of the Bible when we try to make the Bible an ethical scrapbook or a, a handy do-it-yourself manual. The Bible is the revelation of of Jesus Christ. The full counsel, the Old Testament, the New Testament helps us understand who Christ is and what He's done for us. Amen? We are in the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Let's read those verses together. 
And then we're going to pray. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. It is so good to be here with you guys. Thank you so much. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. Paul writes this. He says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind. Don't do that anymore. They're being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, they've given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, which means they can't get enough of the impurity. But you didn't learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is found in Christ. That in reference to your former manner of life, you, you lay aside that old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be renewed in our minds so that we can put off the old self and put on the new self. So that we can walk in likeness of You. And so Lord, we give You permission to have Your way with us this morning that we would be shaped by Your Word into Christ's likeness. It's in Your mighty name we pray and everyone said... Amen. So let me give you the outline. In the first three verses, we're going to look at a futile mind. Is it futile or futile? Anybody know? Last night, Janet told me it was futile. So I'm going to go with futile, because I'm a rebel. (laughs) It's just the way I am. A futile mind. And then, of course, what it means to have a fruitful mind. And the dangers, if we don't understand the difference. So in Ephesians 4, here's what's going on. Let's kind of get up to speed on Ephesians 4, because we're now in 17 through 24, as we, as we can see. Paul began chapter 4 by imploring us. He says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then he goes on, I'm sorry, let me go back. So, so he implores us to walk in a worthy manner. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 is what Christ has done for us, right? So that's chapters 1, 2, and 3. What Christ has done for you. So chapters 4, 5, and 6 then is what we ought to do for Christ. Here's what Christ has done for you, the first half of Ephesians, and this is what we ought then to do for Christ. And so let me ask you a little bit of a trick question. Which one ought we to be more intentional about? Knowing what Christ has done for us or knowing what we ought to do for Christ? Which one's more important? Both. That's right. We must spend time in God's Word so we can understand what Christ has done for us so that we can more readily and more easily understand and be more willing and disciplined to know what we ought to do for Him. And so he implores us as he opens up chapter 4. He says, I implore you to walk in a worthy manner. And then the first thing he talks about, if you remember, in verses 2 through 6 is that we're to walk in unity. That's the first thing he talks about. That we, church, must walk in unity. And then in verses 7 through 16, which we covered last week, he implores us to walk in our gifting so we can serve one another so that the body of Christ can be built up. 
So Paul says, I implore you, church, to walk in a manner worthy of how I have called you. Walk in unity. Serve one another and build one another up as I have gifted you because we showed that each one of us is given a gift to serve the church and to serve our Lord. And now in these verses, he's telling us to walk in holiness. To walk in holiness. So we are to walk in a worthy manner. We walk in unity, walk within our gifting to build one another up, and then to walk in holiness, which is found in verse 24. And so we must put off the old self and put on the new self, and this is only accomplished by the renewing of our minds, which is found in verse 23 in our text today. And so listen, here's just a reality. This is a reality, right? I think you guys may know this already, but let's just draw our attentions to it again. Our conduct, our conduct reveals what we think and believe. Our conduct reveals what we think and what we believe and what we are feeding our minds. That's just a fact. And so when we think about Ephesians 4, about unity, about gifting, and about holiness, can you and I reply? Remember I said last week that Pastor Dieter, our pastor when we were dating, would say, tell me about your walk. Can you and I reply with Ephesians 4 language and say, Man, I am walking in unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I am serving in my gifting as I help edify the body of Christ. And I am living a holy life. That's Ephesians 4 language right there. From verses 1 to verse 24. I'm walking in unity with my brothers and sisters. I'm serving in my gifting as I help edify the body of Christ. And I'm living a holy life. Wow. That's some pretty strong encouragement from Paul saying, after chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is what Christ has done for you. This is what you ought to do for Christ. Amen? So let's look at our first stanza, a futile, a futile mind. Let's read 17, 18, and 19 again. Verse 17, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of their hardness of heart. They become callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And so clearly, verse 17 drives this stanza. Verse 17, 18, 19 stanza. Verse 17 drives us that we are to no longer walk in the futility of our minds. Look what the NIV does. It's different, and I, I actually really like the way they, the NIV um, breaks down this verse. <laughs> look, look at these words. So I tell you, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in their futile thinking. And so I wonder, listen, look at those three words. It's like me saying, Steve Shear, let me tell you something, Steve Shear. Let me t- I'm going to insist, Steve Shear, that you no longer, you must no longer do what you're doing. That's, that's the language of that verse. And so I wonder, does this sort of encouragement fly in the church today? Does this sort of encouragement fly in the church today that I can say, Bill Holdren, I'm going to tell you something, Bill Holdren, and I insist on it, Bill Holdren, that you must no longer walk like that, Bill Holdren. Interesting, isn't it? It flew in Paul's time. Paul's representing our Lord's words. These words are inspired by the Lord. It's forceful. 
And we don't, we don't really do that much in the church anymore. We don't allow ourselves to be put in that position where we let people breathe that kind of truth into our lives. Interesting, isn't it? Today more than ever, today more than ever, the world promotes the power of self. Bill Kahn talked about it. And we are finding it increasingly difficult to take advice, encouragement, direction, or correction from anyone, even our Lord. And sure as heck, not our brothers and sisters in Christ. What's happened to us? <laughs> when he says in verse 17 that you walk no longer, it means not for any more time. It'd be like me saying to Steve Shear, Steve, don't, no, no, don't do that. No more, don't give it any more time, Steve, please. No more time. Don't walk in the futility of your thinking for any longer. No more time. Give it no more time. And I'm sure many of us have wrestled with that. Like, how much more time am I going to think in a futile way? How much more time am I going to give this thing that's just not from the Lord? Whatever sin it might be or whatever bad thinking it might be that causes bad behavior. And the Lord is saying, don't give it any more time. Not for any more time. So what is this futility of mind in verse 17? This word futile or futile means, listen, uselessness. Uselessness or purposelessness or purposeless. Useless or purposeless, incapable of producing results. Paul understood his purpose. He said in Philippians 1.21, For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul knew his purpose. Futile thinking is purposeless. It's useless. It's incapable of producing results. Check this verse out in uh, Romans 6, 20-23. Very interesting. He's, Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Hey, look, when you were slaves of sin, when you were in sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't even know what righteousness was. Therefore, he says, what benefit, what results were you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome... The benefit of those things is death. That's futile thinking. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefits. The first one is your sanctification. So often we, 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 uh, we shun the sanctification process and that's a gift from the Lord. It's a benefit. Our sanctification, the maturity, the, the, as we grow in holiness, that's a gift from the Lord. That's a benefit that we get from the Lord. And then, of course, our outcome is eternal life. As God is molding you and shaping you and growing you in holiness, that's a benefit from Him. And I hope we can embrace that as we grow and mature along the way. And so here's the reality. Any thinking outside of our Lord's thinking is futile. Any thinking outside of our Lord's thinking is futile. And does this not make sense? Since the Creator would know what the created is most in need of. The Creator would know what the created is most in need of, and we are most in need of His thinking, not our own. Listen, an automaker knows that an engine needs motor oil, not salad dressing. Right? But our world would say, but if you want to put salad dressing in your engine, that's okay. That's what you, that, that's what you want to do. It's crazy. I found this on the internet the other day. I'm going to read it to you. This is um, a journalist. I'm not going to name who it was. It doesn't matter. I don't even know who it is, but it just doesn't matter. About futile thinking, futile thinking. Listen to this. At the risk of sounding 
<clears throat> completely emo, E-M-O, which means emotional. I had to look that up. It's like this new thing. At the risk of sounding completely emo and navel-gazing and dramatic, I have one question. What is the stinking point of anything? She writes, eat these green things, exercise in this way, think exactly like this, don't think like this, do these behaviors, say these things, be these things, choose happy, feel your feelings, do this, be this, say this, eat this, sweat this. Is anyone else exhausted? The echo chamber of well-meaning advice sometimes hits a fever pitch. We say there are no rules to live by except these ten steps to follow if you want to be happy. There is no way to define love except these 20 ways to define love. I've contributed to this. I've ate it up. I've wanted a roadmap to a life that is imbued mostly with the crushing reality that everything around us is temporary and uncertain. I've held on to any certainty I can find or absorb, hoping it will make up for the lack of permanence and control that I actually have. We all become control freaks in our own way. We start exercise routines and meal schedules and we detox off alcohol or social media and we do these things that we think make us better, fitter, and happier humans. Perhaps some of it helps, but most of the times it feels like we're running on a hamster wheel trying to get that one biscuit that will make us happy. But what's the point of it all? When we become happy, we self-destruct. We light our lives on fire. We limit the amount of happy we can have in our lives regardless of how hard we've worked at it. We nestle ourselves within the contentment only to break down within the confines of our boredom. We make plans and cancel plans and we want people around, but then we don't want people around. We want love, but we also don't feel deserving of love. We think we know what we want when in fact we truly don't. That if we achieve that dream, we will have the ultimate. The ultimate what? We don't know, but we pursue it regardless. Isn't this encouraging? We were given these bodies to experience what it's like to be a living, breathing human being. We forget that in the pursuit of better, fitter, happier, more, more, more. We forget that within the hum of the pursuit of happiness that we think is owed to us, we truly don't know how to live. That's futile thinking. That is thinking that's not grounded in the mind of Christ. Somebody whose mind has just gone in a place that the Lord had not intended for it to go. Pretty scary, isn't it? And so no wonder, when you read something like that, no wonder Paul says, so I tell you and insists on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking because that's the kind of stuff that our lives will turn into, that kind of gibberish, if you will. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.16. Paul writes, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ, church. We have the mind of Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Church, there's a battlefield for our minds. There's a battlefield for the things that go on in our minds. And we must be very, very careful. We have the mind of Christ, and Paul begs us to guard our minds so we don't exercise futile thinking but we exercise fruitful thinking and fruitful lives. Amen? Look at the language as the result of a futile mind. Verse 18, you'll see words like darkened, excluded, ignorance, and hardened. Ouch. In verse 19, you see four more words. Callous, 
sensuality, impurity, and greediness. And the progression of those verses from 17 to 19, it starts with the mind and it ends up with the person that's practicing evil. It starts with the mind and it progresses through verse 19 where it says, and they practice every kind of impurity with greediness. They can't get enough of it. And so it started with the mind that's not immersed in the things of the Lord. They're not putting on the mind of Christ. And then it ends up with a practice a lifestyle, a commitment to practicing poor behavior. So we must be careful. And so no wonder Jesus says what He says in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. When He said to the Jews who had believed Him, He says, look, if you continue, and this is, God's, this is Christ's Word for you today, if you continue in My Word, Please continue in my word. Then, three things. You're truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth. And that truth allows you to live fruitful, free lives. Not be living lives of bondage. Continue cleansing your mind and putting on the mind of Christ. That's when you're truly disciples of mine. And then you'll know what good thinking is. Not futile thinking, but fruitful thinking. And that truth will make you free. What a good word from our Lord. Our second stanza is a fruitful mind. A fruitful mind, verses 20 through 24. Let's read those verses. But you, you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside, you put off the old self. Right? It's like a clothing thing. Put that off. Take those clothes off, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in your mind, and you put on the new clothes. One, one commentary says, get rid of the, the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. I like that. Put off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. Be renewed in your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God was created for us in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So, just as the world learns us, teaches us, the world learns us to futile thinking, the Word learns us to fruitful thinking. The world learns us to futile thinking, but the Word of God leads us to fruitful thinking and fruitful lives. Futile minds lead to purposeless lives, incapable of producing results. But fruitful minds lead to living with a purpose producing results that are pleasing to the one who created us. And so what happens in verse 24, let's work this backwards. Verse 24, when, when we put on our new self, which is in verse 24, it's a result of renewing our mind, which is verse 23, which is a result of laying aside the old self, which is verse 22, which is a result of hearing and being taught the Word of God, which is verse 21. And so the result of that is the end of 24. Then we will be in the likeness of God. And so this new self, verse 24 tells us, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so for me, I kind of threw it this way. It's like, let's, you know, we need to have 3D living, this, this righteousness, this unity, and this truth in verse 24, right? Righteousness and holiness and truth. So the truth... Those are the three words at the end of 24. The likeness of God is based on truth and holiness and righteousness. Truth. 
We have to spend time each day living in a, a 3D life. Are we spending time deciphering the truth of God's Word? Are we spending time deciphering the truth of God's Word? And then do we wake up every day recognizing that we're holy, we are dedicated to the Lord, we have dedicated our lives. Because of what He's done for us, this is what we ought to do for Him. And so we decipher His Word so we know how to live. We wake up each day dedicating ourselves to Him because we're holy. That means we're set apart. We're called saints, which means holy ones. So we decipher His Word, we set our lives apart to do His will, and then we deliver on that reality. And that's what it means to be righteous, right? And so you have decipher the truth, dedicate, which is living a, living a holy life, realizing that we belong to Him, we are His for His purposes. And then we deliver, we walk right, rightly. We are righteous people. And so I pray that we do this every day. Am I deciphering truth? Do I recognize that God's called me as a saint, as a holy one, and I dedicate my life to Him and walk in holiness, and then I'm living rightly, and so I deliver daily a righteous life. And so this whole process starts at step one, which is getting people to hear the Word. Getting people to hear the Word. Look at verses 20 and 21. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him, not just heard about Him, where you start learning Him. If you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. Turn a little bit to your left to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. This holy, righteous life is all based on God's Word. Romans 10, starting in verse 12. Many of us know this chunk of Scripture. Paul writes, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul says, But how will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. In verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's just one more reason, perhaps the main reason, that we need to have as many churches as possible. That we need to have as many churches throughout this world of ours as we possibly can. It's why we're planting a church in Heath. And arguably, it's why we're going to plant more in the future. Because churches, church, are truth dispensers. Churches are truth dispensers. They dispense the truth. And our world needs as many of those places as possible. As many as possible. So that others can hear. So that they can believe. So that they can call upon the name of the Lord. So they can be saved just like you and just like me. So that they have fruitful minds and fruitful lives and not futile minds and futile lives that are useless and purposeless. And when you look at the language and the result of a fruitful mind in our second stanza, you see words like in verses 20 and 21, words like learn and heard and taught and truth. And in verses 23 and 24, you see words like renewed, New, righteousness, holiness, and truth. Very different from the words in verses 17, 18, and 19. 
as we kind of start bringing this home, I want to turn back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is a, um, a parallel passage, if you will, for where we're at in Ephesians 4. Romans 1, 18 through 25. Strong words. Very clear, very precise words from Paul. Romans 1, 18 through 25. This is, this is the results of futile thinking. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. They see it, but they don't let it in. They suppress it. They're holding it down. And they suppress the truth because they like their unrighteous life. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became foolish And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, idols, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Wow. That's what futile thinking leads to. We must be so careful, church. We must battle every day. We must decipher. We must dedicate. We must deliver what God's called us to. Turn towards the end of the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. It's before Revelation. Tucked in there towards the back. I think it's, is it before James or after? I think it's before James, right? Yeah. Hebrews 12. I really, really like this. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and just the first part of verse 2. Right? So it's after, what is it? What is Hebrews after? It's after something. I can't flip. Timothy and Titus, right? Okay. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A lot of times people miss this, I believe. The writer says, Therefore, <laughs> since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, like people are cheering us on, man. People are watching our every move from the heavens. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus so that He can calibrate our minds to have the mind of Christ. Go back to that verse 1. It says to lay aside every encumbrance and sin. An encumbrance isn't something that's sinful, but it's still an encumbrance. And so we have sin that keeps us from the mind of Christ, but then we have things in our lives that just hinder our walk with Him. Things that aren't sinful. And yet Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, tells us to put those things aside. To lay aside every encumbrance, even the non-sinful things, that get in the way with putting on the mind of Christ. Interesting, isn't it? Of course we need to put away with sin because we're to sin no more. Because the Lord has set us free from sin. But many of us, while we're doing well in putting away the sin, we're not doing well perhaps in putting away 
encumbrances. It was years ago when I realized TV for me was an encumbrance. And I had to put that away. I still watch TV. Don't get me wrong. I'm not here to tell you how to live. I'm just saying. We have non-sinful things that are encumbrances and putting on the mind of Christ. And so we have to go to the Lord and ask what those things might be. Amen? Let me show you this verse out of Romans chapter 6. Here's another interesting way of saying the same thing that these other verses have said to us. Paul says, don't go on, right? Don't do it any longer. No longer do this. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do you know what that word instruments means? Anybody? Weapons. That's what it means. Weapons. Don't present the members of your body as weapons of unrighteousness. Because that's what happens. Weapons of unrighteousness. But when we present our lives to the Lord, we become weapons of righteousness. Amen? It's why Christ is so polarizing. He's the best weapon of all. As Christians, look at, we have not simply changed our minds or renewed our minds. We have totally changed our citizenship. And Paul addresses that in Ephesians 1. It's how he opens up the book of Ephesians. That we are in a new family. We're heirs. We're God's children. And so we're a new creation and the ideas and the desires of the old creation and the old community should no longer control our lives. Therefore, doing life with the citizens of our new community called the church is essential to our growth. Amen? That makes sense, right? And so, before I pray and invite the worship team back up, we're, going to, we're, we're, we're starting to take that just a little bit more serious, I think. I think it's time for us to take that a little bit more serious of making sure that we're doing community together, that we're putting on the mind of Christ together, that we're encouraging one another in the things of Christ. And so Pastor Rob has been talking about and challenging us to join a community group, to host a community group, to lead a community group, and many have responded. And I just want to say thank you for taking that serious. And my wife and I, we're responding as well. We're going to host a community group in our home because we just believe it's vitally important for us and how we put on the mind of Christ. And so I'm going to be coming after some of you, inviting you. And you better say yes, and you better say you're going to bring something. I love you guys. Thanks for, thanks for being here. You guys come up. Let me pray. And then when we're done with our final worship song, um, our prayer team will be available down here to my left. Lord, we are incredibly grateful to be here, to wrestle with your word for the words that you've written to us, for your, your grace and mercy, Lord, as we continue our process of sanctification. Lord, that you're continuing to teach us what it means to put off the old self and put on the new self. Lord, that you continue to uh, show us ways that we can renew our minds so that we can live fruitfully and, and, and not live in futility. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that there's a battlefield that goes on every day for our mind, that there's an enemy that's real, and that we, Lord would decipher and dedicate and deliver every day. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.